Hey, good morning. It's a cloudy day outside, isn't it? But it's nice in here. Welcome to the second of four weekend services at New Spring and to the last weekend of the Change Series. And while I'm saying that, let me just tell you, two weeks from now, we have a brand new series that's called Say Yes. In fact, many invites are out there. This is one of the most positive, exciting series I've ever done in my life. I don't know what, see guys, you always laugh at me when I say that. I was listening to John Maxwell this week, and someone asked him what his favorite book was that he wrote. He said, the one I'm working on right now. And that's how I am. But trust me, this is such an incredible series because um, what I watch when I look at the world we live in is we have a, a generation of tentative people. We're scared to say yes because we don't know if there's a better choice out there or what's going to happen with the economy. I'm going to give you four weekends of four things to say yes to that you can just, I mean, you talk about building your confidence. If you're trying to have confident living, a confident life in this crazy world we're living in, you'll want to be here for say yes. Four things that you can say yes to, and not only will it change you, you'll change the world while you're working on it. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about this last weekend of change. You know, this whole series has been built around the fact that it's you know, all of us need to experience some serious change, not just tweaking, but, but really serious substantive change. And so I know that you're not going to have all the changes that you need to have in your life, nor will I in these five weeks, but we're, we've learned what it takes to have real change. And I really appreciate those of you who've written me and, and talked to me about what you're doing and how you're dealing with these, uh, the four things that we've covered up till now. But just for a quick review, we started off with change your mind, because that's where change starts. Your mind is a control panel, and it controls everything else. Change your mind. Then the next week, we talked about changing your habits. Changing your mind doesn't cost anything. You don't have to break a sweat. Changing your habits is where it starts getting a little bit difficult. And we said good habits are what take us uphill. You know, they're a little tough at first, but after a while, it gets easier, and we get stronger. Then after changing our habits, changing our attitudes. Facts are facts, but attitudes are important because it's how we look at the facts that makes so much difference in our life. And last week, we learned that some of us need to change our crowd because we're surrounded with people that aren't going to help us get where we need to go. And today, I want to talk to you about the topic that inspires me the most in this series. When I got ready for this, I, I knew this fifth week was going to be really inspirational in my own personal life. And I hope, uh, in fact, last night when I delivered this talk for the first time, I just went home afterwards and said, man, is this how I'm living? Uh, because I want this, this important change agent to be in my life. And, and it's changing our goals, changing our goals. Uh, Billy Graham loves to tell a story uh, about Albert Einstein, the, the great genius, you know, the mathematical scientific quiz the guy that Time Magazine said was the man of the century for the 20th century. But anyway, he, uh, Einstein was in, in America, and he was actually giving a talk at Princeton University, and he had to ride a train to get there. And so he got on the train, sat down, and, and in those days, the conductor would come by and check, make sure you had your ticket, your pass, whatever. And uh, when he came by Einstein's seat, he found Einstein down on the floor on his hands and knees, kind of checking around, and he's looking in his pockets and stuff. And the conductor said, sir, is there is something wrong? And Einstein said, I've lost my ticket. I can't find my ticket. And so the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. If you say you have a ticket, you got a ticket. Don't worry about it. So the conductor went on and started checking some other passengers. And about 10 minutes later, he came back, and Einstein was still feeling around on his hands and knees trying to find the ticket. And the boy said, sir, Dr. Einstein, I, I told you I know who you are. He said, son, I know who I am too. I just can't remember where I'm going. 
And I think that pretty well sums up a lot of us. It is said that 97% of us don't have goals. Only 3% of people set goals. Now, I'm assuming that with this crowd here today, we're all the 3% who have goals. Well, think about how foolish it is to live life without goals, because here's the deal. If you don't have goals, you're going to arrive at a destination, and you're going to be surprised. I think that's where, where most people are today. They're surprised because they didn't have any goals. We wouldn't go on vacation that way, would we? We wouldn't get in the car, load up the family, and say, okay, we're going on vacation. Where are we going? I don't know. We just watched the Super Bowl last week. I mean, would you watch a football game if it was played in a huge field? There were no sidelines, no goal lines? I wouldn't watch that for a moment because you would know, the players wouldn't know where they were on the field. Maybe they've already scored. Maybe they haven't scored. Maybe they'll never score because there are no goals. Goals are so important. Now, the moment I say that, I'm going to talk to some of you, and you're going to say, Mark, I live in the minute. I live in the moment. I'm not worried about the future. That's why I don't think about goals. Goals have more to do with your present than they do with your future, because your goals will tell you what you should do today. That's, see, this is why many people don't have goals. They're comfortable with making it up as they go, and they make it up as they go with their career. They make it up as they go in their relationships. And, and today, I, I don't want that to happen. I want you to have goals. But now, let's, as Emerald says, let's kick it up a notch. Because it's not enough just to have goals. It comes down to the quality of our goals. I talk to people who are in business. I talk to people who are, lead churches and lead ministries. I just talk to people all the time. And many people will share with me their goals. And I ask them, what are your goals? And they'll give them to me. And they may have them in their, you know, in their, in their daytime or they may have it you know, in, in their legal pad. They'll just say, here are my goals. Oftentimes what I hear when people share their goals with me are sort of arbitrary thoughts that they maybe would like to accomplish. The goals that I'm going to talk about today are totally different. Let me give you a, a way of illustrating this that helps me understand. One of my favorite presidents of all time uh, in, the United, in United States history is John F. Kennedy. And when, when President Kennedy came to office, he was elected in 60, in, in, inaugurated in 61. When he came into office, the, the country followed him. The country followed him with an enthusiasm that I don't think has ever been matched. And certainly not since, maybe before, but certainly not since. And I've read everything I can read about this guy for the last 30 years. I mean, I've just inhaled biographies about Kennedy. And, and everybody talks about how, how, how much the country followed him and how positive they were about his leadership. And, and oftentimes biographers will say, well, it's because he was young and handsome and charismatic and charming and a great speaker. And he was young. And then people think that's why the country followed him. But i got to tell you, after looking at his life and listening and reading his speeches, I don't think that's why the country followed him. You have to sort of go back in time. And some of you will remember this time. I'm, I was five years old, or four years old, rather, when he became president. So for most of you, it's just all history books for you. But some of you, you may be old enough to actually remember why what I'm about to say is so true. In 1957, the Russians launched... Sputnik, or they launched a satellite into space, and it scared the living daylights out of the United States, not just because they'd gotten involved in space. But we understood very clearly, within just a short amount of time, within months, we understood very clearly that the Russians had a missile that was powerful enough to deliver a nuclear warhead to our continent. We had thought we were safe. Eisenhower had been kind of asleep at the switch. 
and, and the whole country basically had. But we realized now that we were in some jeopardy, and the country was like biting its nails and trying to catch up. And we were launching, you know, m- missiles, and they were, in, they were blowing up on the launch pad. And it, we were embarrassed, and the Russians were outpacing us, and we were scared to death. John F. Kennedy, as I said, became president in 1961. And in, in May of 61, he delivered a talk to, the joint session, to a joint session of Congress. And here's what I want to say to you. Here's what made Kennedy such an effective communicator and why the country followed him. Read his speeches and see how often he talked to the United States about goals. He said the reason we're being whipped, I mean, if you read this talk, you'll see the reason he said we're being whipped by the Russians, we haven't, we don't, we haven't set goals. We haven't committed resources to reaching these goals. And I think he talked about nine or ten things, and he got down to the end of his speech, and he started talking about space, and he made a comment that to this day is legend. He let the Congress know in 1961, when uh, much of our attempts to get into outer space were failing, he said, I am setting the personal goal for this country of landing a man on the moon before the end of this decade and bringing him back safely. I was 12 years old when it happened. I remember watching it on television. In 1969, Lunar Craft landed on the moon, outstepped the astronauts, walked on the moon, and everybody remembered Kennedy's words. When nobody thought it was possible, Kennedy said, I'm setting a goal. He didn't live to see it. A lot of people, when they think about Kennedy's speeches, and I'm sorry I'm getting into history a little bit, but I'm just working up to something, so give me just a little bit more patience here. A lot of people think of his inaugural speech as a great speech. A lot of people think of that joint, that talk to the joint session of Congress I just talked about. But to me, one of Kennedy's greatest speeches was the night before he was assassinated. He was in San Antonio, Texas, dedicating uh, a hospital for the Space Administration. And, and here's what he said in that speech. He, he, being Irish, he loved Irish writers and Irish poets. And he talked about Frank O'Connor, who was an Irish writer, who had written about when he was a little boy. He said he ran around in Ireland with a group of boys, and they would you know, go through the countryside. And when they came to this wall, when they came to an orchard wall that they thought was too high that they couldn't climb it, O'Connor said they would take their hats off and throw their hats over the wall so that they had no choice but to go over the wall. And Kennedy said, The United States of America, and this is on November 21st, 1963, Kennedy said the United States has thrown its cap over the wall of space, and we have no choice but to follow it. That brings me to what I want to ask you. What kind of goals do you have? Do you have some that-would-be-nice goals if I could do this? Or do you have any goals where you've invested so much personal capital, you don't have any choice but to achieve that goal? Those are the kinds of goals that matter. I mean, I have goals, you know, I'm thinking, wow, someday, somewhere out there in the future, I would like to do that. But my question is, do I have the kind of goals where I've thrown my hat over the wall and I don't have any choice but to achieve that goal? Today, I want you to think about that because my challenge is for us to change our goals. If we have goals that don't matter, I want you to change those goals to the kinds of goals that you don't have any choice but to achieve. It will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize my life if we see it. You ready to go to work? Let's go to work. If you, have, if you have notes, you might want to get them out because I'm going to give you, I think, with some really, really powerful stuff about goals today. 
Let me talk to you, though, about a guy in the Bible who changed his goals. His name was Paul. Actually, his name was Saul. God changed his name to Paul. He was a very influential man. I would argue that outside of Jesus Christ, he's the most influential Christian who ever lived. If you're holding a Bible in your hand, Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. But if you'd caught him early in his career, he was a man with very different goals. He was a young prosecutor. And if you had just checked Paul out, you know, in, the, in his 20s, you would have asked him, what's your goals? He would have one goal above everything else. And that goal was to stamp the name of Jesus Christ out from the face of the earth. In fact, Paul's whole gig was arresting Christians and torturing them. As a prosecutor, he would, he would go from city to city with open arrest warrants. If, if Paul came to our city, if you had been transformed back in, or transplaced back in time to the first century, if you were a Christ follower, Paul could come to your house, arrest you, arrest your wife, arrest your parents, arrest your kids. I mean, he, he went into towns, men and women. <clears throat> he made no distinction because his whole purpose was, in his mind, Christ was a fraud. Jesus was a fake. He wanted to get rid of every Christ follower. <clears throat> that was his goal. His goal was to become influential. His goal was to become powerful. I'm sure his goal was to become rich. He was headed for a town in Syria named Damascus. He had people. He had an entourage with him. He had other prosecutors with him. He had a, a knapsack full of <clears throat> or open arrest warrants. And all of a sudden, there was a light that shined from the sky. The Bible says, Paul said it was bright as the noonday sun, the impact of that light knocked Paul off his animal. He was lying there on the ground, and he looked up to heaven and said, who are you, Lord, and who do you, what do you want me to do? And the answer came back from heaven, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. And, and you can read all about this in Acts chapter 9, and I hope you will sometime. It's a great story. But Paul accepted Christ, and, and he, like some of you, and I really am excited about some of the transformation that's going on here, because when you accept Christ, many of you, you don't just dabble. You go all out to follow Christ. And that's what Paul did. And, and he wrote later on what his goal was. In fact, in Philippians 1.21, he said, For to me, to live is Christ. But what I want you to read with me, and this will be up on the IMAX screen uh, in just a moment. And I'm reading from the message in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul said, Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the... Now, read it out loud with me. I've got my eye on the what? On the goal. Where God... Is beckoning us forward, onward, to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. One more time, let's keep focused on that. Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Isn't Paul saying the same thing that Kennedy said? But instead of space, Paul is talking about following Jesus. And he, he had gone from like trying to live for what this world is all about to a place where he said, I'm going after the goal of being everything that God wants me to be. I, I am fixed on the goal of living up to my destiny in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, nothing less than total commitment. Nothing less than total commitment. This morning, I want to give you eight things to think about. And in these eight things, what I'm going to share with us is you need to change your goals if. You need to change your goals if. Eight things. And all these won't apply to all of you. 
maybe just one or two of these will apply to you, but I think many of them apply to me, and that's what I've been thinking about ever since I brought this talk last night. Here's the first one. Change your goals if you don't have any goals to speak of. Now, I threw that last, that last phrase in there, to speak of, because here's the thing. Some of us have goals, but we wouldn't dare tell anybody what those goals are. For instance, for some of us, our goal is the American dream, which means I want to get by with as little effort as possible. You work with anybody like that? Have anybody on your team like that? I mean, their goal is to just be as lazy as possible. But we wouldn't say that, would we? That's why I'm saying if you don't have any goals to speak of, for some of us, you know, our, your goal is to like work six days, get off on Friday afternoon, get drunk, get high. But you wouldn't say that. My question is, do you have any goals to speak of? And if you would have to say, well, really, Mark, I don't, I mean, if you have to scratch your head and say, well, I'm wondering what my goals are, it's time to change your goals. Number two, it's time to change your goals if they're arbitrary obsessions. I, I talk to people sometimes and ask, well, what are your goals? And it's like they just pulled them out of the sky. I mean, remember when we were kids, you know, I want to be a fireman. I, you know, I want to be a princess. You know, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, okay. Those are fine. But they're, they're sort of arbitrary. Here, here's what I want to say to you. And I'll, I'll probably repeat this a couple times during my talk today. Before you can set your goals, you have to have a sense of what God puts you on this planet to do. A lot of that will come down to your skill package, your gifts, your talents, your passions. And, and those will be the things that will help you determine what your goals are to be. You know, what did God made me here, make, put me here on the planet to do? I'm not just grabbing and reaching and pulling this down and saying, well, this is my friend's goals or whatever. If they're just arbitrary obsessions. Number three, it's time to change your goals if they're too easy. I love the old Peanuts cartoons, you know, with Charlie Brown. And one day, you know, Linus found Charlie Brown, and he had shot some arrows into a fence, and he was carefully painting targets around where the arrows had landed. And Linus asked him what he's doing. He said, so much easier to hit this way. See, some of us have goals, but we're afraid of being embarrassed if we don't reach the goals. And sometimes we set goals that are far too low low for us. I love sports. But truthfully, I think I've only had one person that I would characterize as a hero in sports. And in growing up a Dallas Cowboy fan, you would, you would probably cut me a little slack here, I hope. Uh, but the guy that to me has always been a legendary hero is Roger Staubach. In my office, I have a friend, friend's given me a full-size Dallas Cowboy helmet with Roger's signature on it. I check everybody before they leave the, leave the room. A lot of great players have worn the star on their hat, but I think there's only one legend. Roger was a, uh, a plebe or a freshman at Naval Academy, I think in 1960. And for any of you who've attended uh, military academies, you, you know very well that when you're a freshman or at a military academy, you're nothing. You're supposed to just take it. The upperclassmen dish it out. Your job is to take it and say, sir, and, and whatever, and not, not fight back. And so upperclassmen a lot of times have fun with, with freshmen, and it happened to Roger the first summer when he was at the Naval Academy, a kid out of Cincinnati, you know, in a whole different world. And this upperclassman, I think a junior, was started to ride Roger in, in, at breakfast one day in the mess hall. And he said, hey, Staubach, I hear you're going to try to take my job. And Staubach said, no, sir, I'm not. 
And surprised, the upperclassmen came back to him and said, well, that's not what I heard. I heard you were going to try to take my job. And Roger said, what is your job, sir? He said, I'm backup quarterback. Roger said, your job is safe, sir. I'm going after the starting job. (laughs) Which he did for three years and the Heisman Trophy later. He went on to his commission. Hey, my question for all of us is, are we going, I mean, and here's the deal. If the backup job is what fits our talent, talent, that's fine. But why go for the backup job if we can go for the starting job? Many of us have set our goals too low because we're afraid that we're, we're going to fail. Um, here's the fourth reason, and I almost didn't put this one in, but I, I thought about it a lot in, in some of the people that I've known. It, it's time to change your goals if they're not yours. You know, here's the thing that can happen in our lives so quickly. Other people will try to define us. They tell us what we can do. They tell us what we can't do. They tell us what we would be good at. They tell us where we should go. And sometimes it's well-meaning parents. Sometimes parents live vicariously through their kids. You know, mom wanted to be a cheerleader, but she couldn't be a cheerleader, so daughter's got to be a cheerleader. You know, I, I didn't get to be a doctor, but I want my son to be a doctor. But your son may not want to be a doctor. You know, he may want to be an engineer. He may want to be a plumber. And, and that's the thing for many of us. What happens is other people have told us what we should do, and we have goals in our lives, but they're not our goals. It's time to change your goals if they're not yours. Number five, it's time to change your goals if they're no longer clear. With goals, you have to keep it fluid. Because life can come along and change everything. And all of a sudden, the goal that you had may not be out there anymore. And it's very important at that point not to keep reaching for a goal when life changes. Let me give you a couple of stories, a couple of illustrations to help you with this. Several years ago, there was a flight from New York to Miami. And as they were approaching Miami, you know, the plane filled with holiday passengers, there was a light on the panel that suggested or said that there was a problem with the landing gear. And the pilot didn't know, is the landing gear not deployed, or is it just a problem with the light bulb? And they started looking at the light bulb and, and working with it. And, and while they were trying to figure it out, they started just making looping circles around the Everglades. And before long, the pilot was concerned about it, the, the co-pilot was concerned about it, there were, there were staff in there trying to fiddle with that 75-cent light bulb, and all that time, nobody realized that the plane was losing altitude. And unfortunately, it went into the Everglades and killed a lot of people. By the same token, flip that and think about Flight 1459 the other day. That plane out of New York was bound for Charlotte. But he hit birds and lost thrust in both engines. Wouldn't it have been foolish for the pilot, you know, for, for Sullenberger? Wouldn't it have been foolish for him to say, well, hey, we, we say we're going to Charlotte. That's our goal, baby. We're going to Charlotte. No. Everything changed. And he turned that plane around, and, and he told the control towers, you heard this week, we're going to be in the Hudson. And thank God he changed his goal. I mean, all those people live. Sometimes life will do that. You know, I've met people that have gone through a life change, but they just were driven. They were hell-bent to get to a goal that's no longer out there. And they made themselves miserable and everybody else, and they missed new goals that God had for them. Number six. It's time to change your goals if they won't get you where you need to go. 
I'll just leave that with you because we need to move on. Number seven. Seven and eight are huge, so I just want you to like take a deep breath here and get ready for seven and eight. These are the two most important. Number seven, it's time to change your goals if they're too heavily weighted on this life. Now, here's the thing. This is a, this is a mind-blowing statement, but this is in, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God did not make you for this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says the life that God made us for is the life to come. When you and I die or when Jesus comes back, that's when we're really going to start living. At most, most, most of us are not going to live to be 100 years old, but if we did live to be 100, that would be nothing compared to eternity. Because when you've been in heaven for 10 million years, you're not even started yet. You're a newcomer. Now here's the thing. This is what Jesus said. In fact, he said this all the time. He said, lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust, and then he could have added Wall Street, you know, doesn't take away what you have. Lay up, think about that, lay up treasure in heaven. And in fact, what he's saying is leverage this life in order to have a better life in heaven. So when I think about Christians today, one of the things I discover is that so many Christians are focused on this life. I want this life to be great. My goals are all about this life. My goals are for me. My question for us today, do we have any kingdom goals? And I know that many of you do. I mean, right now while this service is going on, there there are probably a couple of hundred volunteers all over this campus. You know what those volunteers are doing? They're laying up treasure. I mean, it's just like in a few moments we'll receive an offering. And some of you will bring tithes and offerings to God's work. You know what you're doing? You're laying up treasure. Others of you, you know, you're so kingdom-minded that throughout the week you're thinking about how does this day impact heaven? You're laying up treasure. So lay up treasure if you're, uh, change your goals if, you're, if your goals are too heavily weighted in this life. Number eight, change your goals if your goal is costing you more to execute than the goal is worth. In the Bible, there was a guy in the book of Genesis named Lot. His goal was to get rich. In those days, wealth was all about you know, how, how, much, how many cattle, head of cattle you had and how fat they could get. So if you wanted to get wealthy, you need to have your cattle on good grazing ground. And, and the place that was best was close to two cities named Sodom and Gomorrah, but these two cities were extraordinarily wicked. So here's Lot. What's his goal? Get rich. He moves to Sodom. He moves to the area. He gets rich, but in the process, he loses his wife. He loses his daughters. He loses everything that's important to him. I may be talking to somebody here. You're kind of like Lot. You have goals, but in the process, you're losing more than your goal is worth. So I don't know where that leaves you. I just give you those eight things today. I'm checking through, inventorying my own life to see where that leaves me, but I want to challenge you to think about those eight things. If I went through them too fast, they'll be on my blog later today. How do you form goals? You say, well, Mark, I need to change my goals, but I'm not really sure how to set goals, how to establish really important goals. I'll give you five things and I'll be through. Number one is so important. You ready for this? If you want to set goals, stop the machinery. Stop the machinery. See, the thing about goals is it it requires a lot of thinking. It it requires some inventory and analysis. 
And the reason why many people don't have goals, they're just so busy. They're going here and going there and taking the kids to practice and, you know, staying late at work and, you know, doing this and doing that and recreating. And they never stop the machinery and get alone and get quiet. So that's the first thing that needs to happen. If you want to change your goals this week, set up a time where you can block everything else out and get all by yourself and stop the machinery. Guys, I will tell you this. I love being creative. You know, everybody asks me, How do, where do you come up with these series? I can tell you, every series that I've come up with that's been good, <laughs> I've had to stop the machinery. I mean, I go seven days a week. I can get in my car or get in an airplane, and five minutes after I leave town, it's like I get creative. Thoughts just come to me. The second thing, when you get all alone and you stop the machinery, machinery, there's the two things you need to ask yourself. Number one is, who am I? And what do I care about? See, if you have a goal and you don't care about it, it doesn't really matter to you. What good is a goal like that? What is it that I care about? It? You know, here's the thing that just kind of gets me about this message. Is so many Americans will have goals and then achieve those goals, and when they get there, it won't mean anything. Like one guy said, I finally climbed the ladder of success, and I found out it was leaning against the wrong window. What do you care about? What is it that really matters to you? Stop and think about that. I mean, here's the thing to think about. If you, if you want to know what matters to you, just, just think about what would hurt the most to lose. What do you care about? What you care about is more important than the strategies that you employ to get there. Our, our church has grown like crazy. You know that. We've just, it's been phenomenal what's happened. And now, you know, other churches are interested, in, and now the media started to get interested in it. And, and I got several calls on the media lately. Oh, we hear about what's going on at New Spring. And tell us, what did you do? In fact, I got asked that question this week. What did you do? <laughs> I don't know what we did, but I know what we cared about. We cared about people. We cared about people making a connection with Christ. And I'll tell you, what we cared about drove what we did. It's the same thing in your life and my life. What matters is what we care about. What, where's our passion? Get alone. Number one, stop the machinery, then ask yourself, who am I? What am I about? And what is it that I'm, that I'm passionate about? Number three, this may sound small, but it's important. Number three, when you know what your goals are, write them down. There's something powerful about physically writing your goals down and write them in a place where you revisit. It's a journal, perhaps. Maybe you put them on your you know, a computer you know, in, a, in a file that, you, that you're going to come across all the time, but write them down. Number four, develop a plan to achieve the goal. A goal without a plan is a pipe dream. Now, when you set your goals and develop your plan, there are two things that you're going to need. If you're a Christ follower, you're going to need two things, two important tools to develop your plans because your plan is going to be your route to get to your goal. Number one is prayer, prayer. Prayer brings God into your plan. The Bible says this several times in the book of Proverbs. Man plans, but God is the one who brings the final outcome. So if God's going to bring the final outcome, shouldn't we talk to God about our goals and our plan? And ask him, Lord, this is what I care about. This is what's really important to me. My goal is I want to have a wonderful marriage. So what's my plan? Well, I talk to God and say, God, help me understand. The second thing, and I wish I had time to develop this. Maybe we'll have a whole message on this sometime. The second thing is principles, the principles of God's word. 
God gives us principles that work in every situation. Let me give you an example. Um, one of God's principles is sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. If you plant corn, you're going to reap corn. If you plant kindness, you'll reap kindness. That's just a, a principle of God. If you plant meanness, you'll reap meanness. If you plant generosity, you'll reap generosity. That's a principle. You can plug it in any area of your life, and it works. Servant leadership is another principle. Jesus said time and time again, if you want to go to the top, be willing to go to the bottom. If you want to be great, be everybody's servant. You can plug that in in any aspect of your life, and it will work. So when you develop your plan, it's very important to have prayer in your life, and the principles, the principles of God's Word will help you develop your plan better than anything else. Number five, and I'm finished. Tell someone you trust. Why do I close here? You remember what Kennedy said? He said we've thrown our hat over the wall. If I have a goal that's private, I don't tell anybody about it. I'm still wearing my hat. If I decide it's just too, too high a wall to climb, I can say, well, I'm changing my mind. There's something about telling somebody I can trust, and boy, when I do that, I toss my hat over the wall. i got to tell you a story, and I'm trying to end this real fast because I want to make sure that we're out of here on time because I know what the parking's like on the road out front. And, I, I, you know, over half of you guys have come in the last two years. So I, every once in a while I want to tell you stories about this church from the past just like your parents told you stories when you were little, because I want you to know what's, what's happened with this church. Many years ago, when our church was about one-eighth of its size right now, we started growing. We were located on South Hillside. We were situated on four acres of land, and we were totally surrounded by houses. There was no way we could expand. And I knew in my heart what we really needed to do was to relocate, but if I had gone out at that moment and said, we need to relocate, I would have freaked everybody out, because everybody would have said, where are we going to go? How much is it going to cost? What happens with this building? And all the questions that all of us would have had if we'd been in a fairly small church compared to this in those days. So you know what I did? I lowered my sights. I lowered my goal. Because I knew, in my mind, I could never talk people into relocating. Because we were growing, I decided that what we need to do is we need to build a building on our property and then it, we would grow, and then we'd be able to relocate. Crazy idea, but that's the best I had at the moment. So we started developing plans to build a building that would accommodate the growth that we had. The only issue is, for those of you who were at New Spring or Messiah in those days, you'll remember that everybody was, I mean, it was hard to find parking already. Parking lot was filled. People parking in northern Oklahoma and walking up. It was that bad. This building that we were going to build was going to take up about 30% of our parking lot. Wasn't that smart? And all the time we were working on this project, we were talking with architects, and our board was talking, and in my heart of hearts, I knew that the real goal should be a lot higher than we set it. But a guy who had started coming to our church just before that, his name was Billy Poor. Billy was a builder. He wasn't on our board or anything. He just knew building, and so we had asked him to sit in on our meetings to give us expertise that's related to building, and, and he did. He answered every question we had and gave us good advice, and in the process of those meetings, I realized how bright he was and was just, just taken by his 
not only his intelligence, but just his passion for what God was doing in our church. And, and one night, about 11 o'clock after the meeting, we'd been working on plans and oh, this building we were going to build. <clears throat> it was about 11 o'clock, maybe even after 11 o'clock, and everybody else had gone. It was just Billy and me, and we walked outside. Now, in those days, we had this huge rock right in front of the doors. I mean, nobody knew what that rock was there for. It just stuck a big old rock. See, in the Baptist church, it's just a lot of stuff. Nobody knows why you do it. You just do it. I mean, I came here, and I came here the first, in June of 1985, and I looked and I said, what's the rock for? Nobody knew. People asked me for years, what's the rock for? We don't know. Huge rock sitting on a pedestal in front of the door. It was, I would have said it, it, was, it represented Christ, but it had a big crack in it. So I just figured it represented everything else that we had going in the church that nobody knew why we were doing. So We walked out and stood by that rock for a few moments. And I got up my courage. I mean, I wouldn't have told anybody else this. But I looked over at Billy and said, sometimes I wonder if we should actually build this building. And that fast, Billy said, I don't think we should put another stick here. And guys, where you're sitting today is the outgrowth of that conversation. Billy, of course, went on to become part of our board. He became the person, he was the point person. He, was, he oversaw the building of this building. Today, he's our, our executive pastor. And now, almost every day of the week, I talk to him about my goals. And I cannot begin to tell you how many goals of mine Billy has helped execute. Something powerful when you tell your goals to somebody who, who you can trust, somebody who believes in you, somebody who's passionate about the same things, because, because when you do that, you throw your hat over the wall. And beyond that, you can begin to form a team that will help you not only accomplish your personal goals, but you can help others accomplish their goals. It will revolutionize your life. Guys, all the things I've talked to you about in this series help me. This one inspires me, because I don't want to live my life painting the targets around the arrows. I'm ready to throw my hat over the wall. My question for you, what areas do you need to do that? Well, I've gone into overtime, so let's pray and um, ask God to help each other. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your patience in our lives. Lord, help us to know where we need to change our goals. If life has changed and you have a different direction for us to take, then, then help us to realize that. Lord, please don't let us sell short. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you just pray with me for a moment? I talked about telling your goals to somebody. The first person to talk to is Jesus. Is he in your life? You say, well, Mark, I'm religious. I go to church. That's a fine thing, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, is Jesus in your life? See, when you invite Christ into your life, you get so many things. This is why I talk about this every weekend. When you invite Christ in, you get forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. You get God's presence in your life through his Holy Spirit. You get the assurance, the total assurance of going to heaven. Because Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes has everlasting life. But you know what's so awesome? On top of all of that, you get God to help you with your goals and plans on a daily basis. You can talk to him anytime. You may have tried religion. 
You may have tried all kinds of things, but let me tell you, nothing is like having Jesus in your life. How does that happen? You say, Mark, do you want me to join a church? Nope. You want me to give money? Nope. I'm asking you to take a chance and invite Jesus into your life. Trust him. If you do that, he'll revolutionize your life. Your goals will change. Would you pray with me? I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to pray it slowly where you can think about and just savor these words. It isn't the words. It's just your heart and your attitude that's reaching out to Christ. I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you want to pray it with me, please do it today. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died to pay for all the things that I've done wrong. I believe you arose from the grave proving that you are indeed God. I ask you to come into my life, forgive me, save me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I know we prayed that real quickly, but if you prayed that prayer, as short as it was, the most important thing you've ever done in your life. We have a packet that we've gotten ready for everybody who accepts Christ. It's free. It won't cost you anything. If you'll take your worship folder out, it's detachable. Tear it right down the middle. If you put your name and address in that area and then check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ, I'll mail it, I'll mail it to you this week. All you have to do is just drop the card in the offering bag. The box is by the back or at the bottom of the staircase. And I know we're busy and it's crowded, but if you have a few extra minutes, if you'll stop by either guest services or New Spring store, I'm pointing right through those middle doors there, all you have to do is bring them the card. They won't, they won't ask you any embarrassing questions. All you have to do is say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give this to you today, and you can take it home with you and get started following Jesus. Guys, I've got a powerful message next week. It's Valentine weekend. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about love next week in a really exciting way, and then two weeks from this weekend, uh, we start Say Yes series.